Uh, we are live. So we are live here. We're doing a live, you'll hear it, uh, with me. I'm Adam Manis. I'm Peter Martin. And with us today is Charles Goldfarb of the Washington University School of Medicine. Chuck, thank you for being here today. It is my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And you are actually at Washington University Medical Center. It's deep social distance, deep quarantine, hard at work today, right? I mean, they're doing the podcast with us, but actual doctoring is going on. There is doctoring going on. There's not a lot of doctoring going on for those with elective practice surgery, but there's doctoring going on, and I'm coming out of the office solo. Awesome. So we already get great questions, which we're going to get to in a second, but what we wanted to talk about is with all of our guests, whatever the hell you want to talk about. But in particular, we have a lot of pianists uh, and just a lot of musicians, and uh, we're always a little bit piano-centric, but almost every instrument, say, except for maybe vocals, uses their hands in interesting ways. And I know you've you know, treated a lot of athletes, a lot of musicians, a lot of you know, just folks in general. Everybody pretty much has hands. But the way we use them in music is, uh, especially as pianists, is very unique because we'll often practice a lot, and a lot of folks now going through a period of deep practice, which is wonderful in terms of you're sheltering at home, you're stuck at home, and a lot of professional and semi-professional and aspiring musicians are spending more time with their instruments than ever, but we're hearing about, you know, some injuries, maybe over that type of thing, and so we want to just, uh, as we have you on the line here, get some of your advice about all that, but I thought I could just sort of preface things with um, a little bit of a background on our relationship, and how you've done doctoring of my hand when I had an injury that was not related to uh, piano, but was a little bit more related to sports. But if you would, Dr. Chuck, maybe could you just give everybody a little bit of a, uh, a run through of what your specialties are? Because they're super interesting. And I know you, there's certain areas that you really cover in depth. Absolutely. So uh, like you said, I am at Washington University in St. Louis. I'm a hand surgeon. Um, and my practice is a little unusual. So about a third of my practice is sports and athletes, and I would throw you guys in that category. Uh, about a third of my practice is kids born with unusual hand conditions, um, and about a third of my practice is what I would call bread and butter, hand and upper extremity nerve and arthritis and problems like that. And makes for makes for interesting days with a wide variety of patients and makes it fun, keeps it fun, um, treating kids and adults. And I've been here in St. Louis since 2002 um, practicing. And uh, I think I met you somewhere around there, not too, too long after that. Yeah, I think 2005, 2006 or so when we first came back to St. Louis. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I should just say, in case folks, you're probably already realizing, like, wow, okay, he's this wonderfully accomplished, accredited doctor, but he's so good on a podcast. That is be- that is not by accident, because uh, Dr. Goldfarb, uh, along with uh, one of his partners, has a wonderful podcast called The Upper Hand, one of the great titles to a podcast. And uh, if you get a chance, we're going to link to that both here on the YouTube and the podcast. Check that out. And even if you're not an aspire, if you're a young aspiring hand surgeon, this would be like gold. I mean, could you actually skip medical school if you listen to all your episodes? Is that legal? That is a great idea. Maybe. I'm not, <laughs> not going to push that one out there, but there's enough, enough quality content perhaps. But it's really cool. Like I've been, I'm, I'm such a fan of, of podcasts in general and a fan of yours and, and your podcast. And it's so interesting because what, it, and I don't even know if, if, if you realize this, it gives a little bit of a, um, it kind of pulls the curtain back a little bit 
on the world of being a surgeon because you and Chris, Dr. Chris, are at a little bit different places. You're partners, but you're at a little bit different places in your career. And so it's a fascinating look at how you guys interact and the different stages you go through talking about residency and fellowships. I learned the difference between a resident and a fellow. And so I'm not going to be calling anybody my resident fellow because it's two different things. See, I know that. Uh, but you guys do it in a really uh, interesting and cool way. And so congrats on that. Thank you. We've heard that uh, Chris is a little younger or a lot younger than I am. He was my fellow, which means one extra year of training doing just hand surgery. And people uh, recognize he's a little deferential to me, which is not the goal. Uh, the other problem we have is we never disagree, which is a bit of a problem. You want a little excitement, a little disagreement. So we're working on right. that. Your biggest fault is you're too agreeable. <laughs> That's right. Well, actually, yeah. I mean, Adam is a little younger than me, but I've been trying to get, he's not deferential at all. He's super, he's not doing it right now because he knows we're friends, but he's usually super domineering with everything. And, you know, but anyway. Of course. Of course. <laughs> um, cool. Okay. So among your specialties with hands, I noticed you did not mention hand washing, which is very topical. Is that, does that not come under your purview of your practice? You know, it's an interesting subspecialty, but no, I can't claim it. Uh, although I have become a personal expert, I had no idea that you needed to wash for 20 seconds or sing happy birthday twice. Um, <laughs> but, I, but like you, I hope I'm taking it really seriously and, and yeah. doing it all the time. My hands need lotion, which I've never done in my life. And it's really fascinating. Well, I was going to ask you, because actually on a serious note, I've been washing my hands so much, but it is, a, I don't know if this has happened to you, Adam, but it, the piano feels different and the keyboard feels different. And I've had, I haven't really had pain, but I've had a little bit of like jarring, just difference and a little bit of discomfort. And I was wondering, the, the thing with lotion for pianists is tricky, especially if you're playing a lot of keyboards, like we are, if you can't get to a real piano or whatever, is that it gets slippery. So I can't do a lot of lotions, but I've definitely felt a difference in just, it's a tactile difference in the keyboard. Board. I knew I'd learned something. Yeah, I don't, I think that when I lotion, it's really on the back of the hand. I'm certainly no expert or uh, I don't use a lot of product anywhere. Uh -huh. um, but uh, I don't know about the fingertips or the pads of the fingers as we call them. Yeah, I would see how that can be problematic for you guys. Yeah, I, um, that's a great idea though, the back of the hands. That's a good one for pianists to try. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, you know, we get a lot of questions about is, is there anything that we can do off the keyboard for our hand health, uh, you know, to stay strong, to stay healthy? Is there anything that in general uh, you would recommend uh, to keep your hands in a, in a good spot? It's a great question. It's one that's actually hard to answer. I, I guess I've been most familiar with um, those who play professionally in the symphony, and I've seen a, a, a good a number of such patients in my office. And th those patients come in for specific problems. Uh, mm -hmm. As far as general hand health, I think it's a matter of, and this is a getting to the point of the whole issue, which is not overdoing it. Um, and you may not overdo it until you've overdone it. Um, mm -hmm. but like any athlete, I would say, you know, if you really have an, a, a tiresome session and you're, you're going for too long, icing afterwards, uh, taking Motrin, if you have one or two muscles, which are really clamp, you know, clamping up on you, uh, really trying to stretch through it is hard, which sounds silly for the hand, uh, but it does make sense and it does work. So those are the things I would say ice. If you have a long session, you know, if you have achiness, it's okay to probably push through it, but if you have sharp pain, stop. That's great. And so it's interesting you say like any athlete talking about musicians. And I think that really resonates uh, with me and a lot of the things that we, you know, from a musical standpoint that Adam and I, you know, advise to, uh, the, the, oh, okay, we're still there. Um, you know, that 
especially the piano. Well, every musical instrument kind of has its specific technical um, uh, difficulties and things to overcome. And, and that's when we talk about practicing on an instrument. It's, it's usually about overcoming, like with piano, fingering is a big thing. How are you going to finger these things? What is your arm position? What is, you know, your shoulders and all the things. But a piano is a very, it's a big machine with a lot of parts and you need a lot of power to play it. So I always think the athletic side of and how you're going to harness your energy to be able to pull that out does have an athletic, um, it's kind of a mindset that can be good. We talk about, you know, Adam's really good about talking about breathing and we, we bring in some meditative kind of things in terms of how you practice so that mainly you can keep your body from getting, like practicing a lot of times we get hunched over because it's intense, almost like you're at a computer, you know, when you're really doing in that kind of flow state, but it can, it can lead to a lot of just uh, these kinds of aches and pains, soreness, and then, you know, even probably bigger difficulties is when you're probably seeing the symphony players coming in. I guess, is that, I don't want to throw a medical term out there. Is that acute pain, would you call that? When a symphony player comes in? Yeah. I think it's usually what I would say uh, acute on chronic. So something may be underlying and then uh, an event or a session makes it a little worse. Okay. But, you know, the, the analogy with you guys, I think, would be, Patients that are labeled workers' compensation or work injuries because they have been typing too much, and that gets to the ergonomics of putting yourself in a position to succeed. Um, so for piano playing, it means you know not p- playing piano with your hands up, making sure the mm. bench is at the right height, make sure your shoulders are in a good position, the wrists should be relatively neutral. Um, so those things are key. And there's a question well, about sax you know playing the saxophone and, and again that gets the shoulders and elbow positions it's just a matter of not playing in an awkward position yeah, yeah. well luckily all those things also help you you know sound better <laughs> you know yeah having great positioning comfortable positioning your body just when it's comfortable you play better you get a better sound you can play with more control uh so listen to your body we talk about it all the time about getting a good posture, feet on the floor, you know, straight spine, breathing. And, and if you feel discomfort somewhere as you're playing, there's probably a position that you're, that you shouldn't be in uh, if that, if that keeps happening. And so the doctor just confirmed that for you all. So you can keep listening to what we have to say. I know Peter, we always preface that we're not surgeons, but we just got expert (laughs) reinforcement. We can say we're surgeon approved now, right? I think you got a little checkbox in your, uh, (laughs) Well, and this is going to, for folks that follow us closely at the podcast or, or Adam and I with Open Studio, it's going to sound like a setup because Chuck, what you just said, even about the wrist, um, you know, being in a neutral position, I think you said it in terms of at the keyboard, that's something that I learned from a really good teacher when I was young. And I've always um, preached that and taught that and talked about, we talk about that a lot. And I've done videos on that, certainly not from a medical or even injury standpoint, but just from um, the standpoint of being able to effectively pull the sound out and create the music that you want to at the keyboard. But I've always also said that I, I haven't suffered any um, serious injuries. I mean, yeah, I've gotten sore and sometimes I take a break or whatever, but I've always felt that, you know, the more natural we are, you know, just like, you know, athletically in terms of like the more natural your technique is, the less chance there is for you being able to repeat over and over again and do something that is going to bring you to injury. I just never known that was medically approved or not yeah it's interesting because for some people this comes easy right just like Mm -hmm. any other sport you know for some people their shots natural for other people they have to work on it i I would assume and i'm not a musician myself that i don't have a musical bone in my body but uh i I would think for some people they have to work on being comfortable and being relaxed and it it, uh 
it, it, you can get there, but it just takes some more concentrated effort. Mm, that's great. It's great. Um, so w- w- you want to get to some questions, Adam? Do we have any? Uh, well, no, I had a question. So okay. sometimes we get asked too, like, you know, I, I, I injured my wrist playing basketball, Peter, or, uh, or some other song, activity. Song. Is there something, is there anything like, uh, I have a good friend who is an ER nurse at Children's Hospital here in St. Louis. And she's like, I would never, ever let my children, you know, ride an ATV because I see too many of those all the time. Is there equivalent of that for a hand surgeon? Is there something that's like, don't do that or you know, uh, for professionals out here who don't want to risk, you know, a possible career st- uh, stalling injury? Oh, Peter's got a good story about that because I think it directly applies to him. Uh, Peter, you start and then I'll jump in. Okay. Yeah. So we'll get the, we'll get the patient and the doctor's uh, uh, recollection of that, of that acute illness. No. So I was actually, uh, Chuck, in addition to being a wonderful surgeon and wonderful father and uh, just nice all around guy is also a serious amateur basketball player. And I mean, on, on the, like we joke about being semi-professional in our athletic endeavors, but we've played together quite a few times and he's a great player, like a great, and sometimes it sounds like an insult when you say he's a great thinker. It means they're not, he's very athletic as well, but he has great court vision. And like when people, yeah, no, well, when people talk about my, like, wow, you're such an intellectual player. They, they mean I'm playing like an intellectual, you know, but no, Chuck's a great basketball player. We've had a lot of fun playing together. And there was a period where the regular game that we played, I would only go to the game if I saw Chuck on the email that he was going to be attending, thinking my hand surgeon will be there, <laughs> thus mitigating any, any problems. You are an intellectual player. <laughs> uh, but I did have an injury once, and see, that shows I shouldn't have showed up when Dr. Chuck wasn't there, was not in attendance at the game, and um, I dislocated my left thumb. And, uh, you know, I had never dislocated. I jammed my, you know, my fingers a lot over the years. So I kind of felt like I was fine and I'd never uh, broken, you know, in any, anything in my fingers or my hands or anything, but it was clearly dislocated. And, and one of the yahoos at the game was like, I'll pop it back in. And there actually was another doctor. I don't know if, remember if you remember uh, Pete Crawford was actually at the game. He's not oh, a yeah. surgeon. You know, he's a, I think, a, a I'm not sure what kind of doctor. Cardiologist, a, maybe. Cardiologist, right. And so he was the one who's like, no, you're not going to be popping anything back in. It's like, we're calling Chuck. And you were out of town and we called you. And I think I took a picture of it and you gave me some. You were like, okay, go down to, to, to my hospital, to Barnes and uh, or whatever, BJ, whatever it was called at the time. And you called some folks there and I was uh, quickly admitted in. It was actually, you had so much pull there. I think I was pushed back in front of some gunshot wounds and like <laughs> some arms for, you know, they were like concert. And, and you, I think you described me as a concert pianist. So they were like, there was a lot of jumping around. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, um, but anyway, I got back there and I think I was with some of your residents or fellows um, that were, that were there. They came over and they, you know, popped it back in but in a in a different kind of way i I think there was x-ray done first and uh then my wife showed up very hysterical um but very already getting very angry when she saw that i was going to live through it why are you because there was a lot of why are you playing basketball you're a pianist that's how you make your living um but anyway it was the x-ray i guess showed that it wasn't broken and then you were able to see that and it was put back in and it was banned you know it was wrapped up and that kind of a thing and so that was really the only really bad injury and actually a week later i was able to play i had a gig it was like a local kind of a small charitable thing but i really wanted to do it and i was able to play i think i still had it wrapped some and you had looked at it maybe by that point um but maybe that was a real lucky lucky uh well 
Yeah, a couple of things from this. I mean, you know, my philosophy is I want to keep players playing, whether that be basketball or get you back to your job, uh, if that happens to be as a professional pianist. I, I think it's incredibly important. And I know that you – I think you stopped playing ball for a while because I think Kelly said yeah. you could not do this. And I didn't like it then. And I think eventually you must have worn her down because I know you hit the court again. I, you know, I think almost every injury you can deal with <laughs> – <laughs> almost every injury you can deal with and sure there's risk I think our risks are actually pretty similar um mm. if I play ball and I hurt, you know hurt a finger this can affect my ability to get back in the operating room but you know what life's short I think you should do what, what you have fun with but I will say for those like people who are on ATVs or right now you know everyone's sheltering but kids are out in the backyard playing and what mm. I see when I walk around my neighborhoods everyone's going crazy on their scooters and their mm. And no one's wearing helmets or wrist guards. And, you know, you know what that means. There's going to be falls and there's going to be injuries. So I hope people are smart with how they go about with these activities. Right, let right. Ask, let me ask a question, Chuck. So I, I have been watching a lot of uh, MMA lately, which I'm, I'm like new to the game here, but I'm loving it. And so like I was watching some the other day on YouTube and I was like, I'm going to learn jujitsu. Uh, and I texted a friend of mine who's, who's you know, like a lifelong jujitsu guy. And I was like, how, how often do you injure your fingers, hands, wrists, or arms jujitsu? He's like, not a lot. He said, probably five times this year. <laughs> is, is, that, is that like, as a professional pianist, should I stay away from combat sports? You know, again, I don't know. I, I, I'd, I'd stay away from that dude. I, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, you got to exercise some, you know, common sense. My nephew is a martial artist and is really good. And, and like literally three days before he's heading off for his freshman year in college, he was trying to pass his black belt test and broke his metacarpal, broke his hand. Ended up needing surgery and the whole thing was a debacle. But, you know, he's back out fighting again. Uh, again, there's probably technique there as well you know, to minimize your risk unless you're actually grasping or sprawling, you know, <laughs> sparring with somebody. That's yeah. great. I see. I, I, <laughs> I think he just yelled to his wife that he's starting MMA. See, it's like you wrote him a prescription. Start MMA. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love that. That was like supposed to be a softball question for you. Like as a pianist, should I do MMA? And Chuck is like, well, you know, maybe why not? Well, um, life is short. <laughs> No, but I do think this, and we've talked about this before, like the concept of the benefits of being in, of, you know, staying active and participating in, especially sports that you're passionate about, that you can really, you know, bring so much to your fitness in general. And then as you come back as a musician, as an athlete musician, what it can bring maybe is worth a little bit of the risks of some of these things happen. Is that what it sounds like? I think, you know, we talk about in sports, you know, we talk so much about the adolescent athlete and we talk about the kid who starts playing just soccer at age 10 mm. uh, versus the kid who plays multiple sports for as long as possible. And there's no doubt it's beneficial to stay active in multiple different ways. It's good for the muscles. It's good for everything. Mm -hmm. I think that applies here. The more active you are in general, the better your body is going to hold up. And if you just do one thing, if you sit at the piano and just play piano for multiple hours a day, it's hard. It's harder on your body and you're less likely to be resilient against injury. Yeah. Oh, this this is a really good question. Peter, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but there's this like, there's a lot of armchair doctoring going on on with piano technique. And on so, this podcast, I mean, yeah. when, when Dr. Ch between you and I, usually we're, we're trying to minimize it today, but yeah. No. So there's, there's like some, someone asked, so the thing they told you outside a club about some tendons of your hands connected to your torso, 
and others connected to your back is true. So that this is something that at, when we talk about learning piano technique, uh, we talk about, I, I've heard that these three fingers are connected uh, through tendons up to your chest. And then these two are on a different path that end up in your back. And I was always like, is that true or is that total horse poop? So that's total, no. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all there's two kinds of uh, muscles or tendons in the hand. There are ones we call intrinsic, which start and finish in the hand. So the entire muscle and tendon is within the hand itself. And those are the muscles of the fleshy part of the thumb and some of the uh, muscles between the fingers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's muscles that start in the forearm and finish in the hand. Uh, Those include, you know, ones that bring your wrist back or straight, some contribute to straightening your fingers. None of the muscles in the hand go above the elbow. Truly, I mean, they kind of come close, but really don't go above the elbow. They definitely don't go above the shoulder and they definitely don't connect to your back. But I think what it gets to is this whole kinetic chain idea that anything you do with your wrist, the elbow, you know, position of the elbow matters, position of the shoulder matters, you know, even your torso matters. So it's all connected, but not directly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I had a a piano teacher once that was like having me pull my fourth and fifth fingers, like imagining from my back. And I was like, I don't, I don't know if this is real. This doesn't <laughs> real to me. And I think that's that's like an, uh, a lot of times where we maybe, hopefully not on this podcast, but take it a little bit too far as far, in terms of like using your whole body from a conceptual standpoint when you play the piano is very important. But what we shouldn't do is then to actually say because it is connected in a way that it, it isn't. But in terms of positioning stuff, I think that it is uh, important, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it goes back to what we started talking about. I, I not directly connected, but everything's connected and, and, and position of one joint affects the uh, muscle power and uh, function of the each other joint. So sort of, you know, I guess the message is the correct one, but the specifics probably weren't accurate. Right. Now, what about something that we, uh, we do advise often just from personal experience and, and also sort of teachers saying this and a little bit of common sense um, is this idea of when you're really doing intense practice, uh, uh, especially like by intense, I mean like you're, you're in that flow state, you're, you're a little bit unaware of everything except either the composition you're working on, the music or whatever, is to like put a timer on so that you don't, so like two hours don't go by when you're in the same position, you thought it was like 10 minutes. And I'll do this because I've had this problem before. So I'll do like 50 minutes, 45 for, for me kind of works. And then I just force myself to get up as much as I want to keep going and walking around, maybe do a little bit of stretching or something. And it seems to work Would that. Would there be any medical foundation to that? Or is that just something good to do? I, I don't know if I could say medically, but it absolutely makes sense. Totally agree with that. Because when you stop thinking and you're so focused on the task at hand, you don't think about positioning and you're, you know, you can get muscle fatigue. And then what happens, you get muscle fatigue, you get muscle substitution. So you're asking Mm. muscles that shouldn't be helping with the task to do the task. And then it just leads to this chain of events, which is not good. So I think that makes all the sense in the world. Okay. And then what about something that, oh, sorry, go ahead, Adam. No, I was just going to say, you know, too, I like this idea of sort of of musician cross training. I've not really thought about that, that we spend hours and hours in this one position working these very specific muscles in our hand uh, and somewhat up, up to our elbow. Uh, and then ways like doing some exercises to sort of cross train those. Like even for me, I notice when I'm consistently doing 
push-ups, I have less strain on the piano somehow. And I always attribute it to I'm just stronger, but it's probably that like, I'm, I'm like working out some of those muscles in my hands and wrist as I'm doing, as I'm just supporting myself on the regular as, as some cross training. I think it's, it's an interesting thing to think about as pianists that, you know, uh, it's cool to like, try to like uh, work those muscles as we practice scales and, and connect, you know, music to our brain. But like doing a little bit of, of like uh, different kinds of exercises off the piano could probably help reduce uh, the, the injury. And then I'm su- I suppose just like any other cross training, like you're building up the supportive muscles uh, that aren't being, you know, aren't the primary muscles when you're playing. That could have been all. <laughs> all just uh, made up just there, but it seems. No, I like it. I, 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 I'm wondering if a cross training regimen, we could come up with something specific. I, I don't think we could, but it sounds, it sounds good. I, I like the idea. <laughs> yeah. So someone's asking, and, and I know this is, uh, we, we don't want to push you into any kind of telemedicine, but uh, someone's asking about numbness in my left hand as a guitar player, but maybe just, the general idea of like, when do we as musicians know, like, what is the signal where we need to just, as you said earlier, you know, take some Motrin or whatever, but when does it cross over to, you really need to go see a specialist? And I mean, I know that we're in a special time pandemic in terms of it's, it's hard to have access to doctors um, in, if it's not an emergency, but when do you kind of know when it crosses over into something serious? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And first of all, I will say that many practices, ours included, are transitioning to offering tele health or telemedicine. So hmm. three weeks ago, we didn't have a single telemedicine visit. And now hmm. I think our, our group alone, orthopedics at Washington University, uh, I think does about 150 a day, wow. 150 visits a day. And while you can't do everything over the video chat like this, you can, we can usually figure things out and then, and then help with treatment. Uh, you're right. I don't want to get into specifics, but I will say the question about numbness and tingling. You know, what we worry about with numbness and tingling is carpal tunnel or another pinched hmm. nerve. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we want you to avoid, no matter what instrument you're playing, is a position of constant wrist flexion mm-hmm. or elbow, you know, hyperflexion, trying to show it. Those two positions together or separate are not healthy on the nerves crossing those joints. And so, again, getting back to the posture comment. But if numbness truly is there, whether it's brief or whether it's constant, uh, if it continues to come back, if it's intermittent, I think that's a reason to see the doctor. Um, especially if it becomes constant, any, any condition that becomes constant, um, is, is concerning. And then would you typically, would somebody in that situation go to their, you know, their general doctor, would you want to go straight to a specialist, a hand, an orthopedic, or you kind of want to go straight there? I guess I'm a little biased. It depends on the, on the primary care physician. It depends, you know, some of them are really good and they can start the treatment process. Um, Mm -hmm. There's nothing wrong in certain you know, cities and practice types and going straight to the specialist. I think that's a hard one to answer for everybody, though. Got it. Cool. Yeah. Uh, definitely key, if you're experiencing any kind of those sharp pains, though, like don't, don't wait on it. Go see someone soon. You know, don't try to play your way through it, especially if it just keeps up uh, consistently. Totally agree with that. Yep. Ooh. What about... Uh, what about like hand exercises away from the piano and stuff and just general things? Is there anything that's ever been, I mean, I'm, I know there's stuff that people do in piano. I used to have those steel balls that, I mean, it felt good, but then I, I think it was more of like a, a meditate. <laughs> very nineties, very nineties. But that was great. Yeah, I was, and then there was the hemp necklace too. <laughs> yeah. Hemp necklace. Exactly. CBD lotion and the balls and the hemp necklace. I'm ready to practice, you know, but is there anything, any kind of like exercises or, 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 or that, that could actually be helpful? 
you know, the, if I'm th- if I'm reading you right, those balls are like two balls that made a little noise, and you rotate them around in your palm. Yeah, that, yeah. that probably does make some sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just anything, those stress balls actually are something that I recommend relatively frequently. Ah, stress balls. And you know what? I used to do that around the same time. Stress balls. Sorry, this is You're my writing this down. Podcast. I am, man. This is my person. I'm getting advice, man. Come on. Yeah, that's why we do we're, it. We're pros around here. We're not. We're not messing around. No, the stress balls. I remember really liking that. The ones I didn't like, and I always felt like were a little bit. You remember the ones that had springs for every uh, yeah, those, finger? That didn't yeah. seem because it was like strength. Because you know, a big thing for pianists is, of course, our fourth and fifth. Like you want to be able to play with all ten of your fingers equally. And there's all these exercises and books about you know independence of the fingers, independence of the hands. That's another issue. But the fourth and fifth finger. Yeah, look at that exercises for independence of the fingers. Oh wow. Um, so it's about strengthening, you know, your fourth and fifth finger and then dealing with the thumb, which unless you're an orangutan, which many have said I am, is shorter than, you know, and so it's like you're playing at the piano, which is, is just flat. I always said like, if we could develop a piano that was curved, it'd be easier because we're dealing with different, um, lengths to our fingers and thumbs, but you have to use all of them in theory equally. So a lot of the stuff is, you know, is about strengthening the fourth and fifth fingers. And I've always felt that there's definitely like a, um, you know, your brain is controlling all these things. So you have to, you've just used these more and stuff. So it's about using them more, but those things with the springs and stuff came about for a lot of, and I remember when I was at Juilliard, they used to be like, Oh yeah, I mean, you've been doing the springs. I was like, man, it kind of hurts when I use it. That couldn't be that good. But could that actually even strengthen your fingers anyway? I don't know if I buy it. Cause most of that flexion strength you get from the forearm muscles, it, uh, it can, you know, again, if it hurts when you're doing it, don't do it is the bottom right. line. Right. right, I got a I got a trivia question for you. Putting medicine and piano together, so there's a certain we use a lot of eponyms in uh, in surgery, like the Collie's fracture or the Jones fracture or things like that. And then certain things have kind of a layman's terminology. So we have a fracture in the hand, which we often see in adolescents called the extra octave fracture. So this uh. is for you guys. What do you what What do you think the extra octave fracture is? Mm. And maybe you'll tell me I'm totally wrong in the use of that, but the extra octave fracture is when you break the base of your fifth finger. Yeah. It typically goes out more. Yeah. The idea is that it expands your range. Is that the right word? Wait, I want that. Can I, can I, can I purchase that injury? I have a weird, I don't know if you see that, but my pinky just naturally like hangs out there. And I think it's from years, but especially wow. like that one, like gets way down from being able to hit those. Like you see that, that's yeah we yeah we we our hands will change when we try to do all that stuff so well, and there's a th- yeah and i mean it's really seen as like a positive for uh pianists the bigger reach you have and there's certain inter- like a, a tenth which is kind of my maximum that's a little bit aspirational for i don't know maybe half the people or something like that's a um you know, a good, I don't have particularly large hands, but I can reach that. And so like that's, and you can even go beyond that, but uh, yeah, 11th and stuff. Well, if you get, he's just showing off now. If you get a 10th, what does Adam get? (laughs) That was 11th. I think I can get an 11th. Okay. Wow. I can kind of of get an 11th. Yeah. But the 11th doesn't have, it's not like the 10th really has some very good musical applications. So if you can almost get it, it's sort of like, oh, I want to get there. But I've always wondered, and I've never told anyone this, but I felt like, you, you know, I mean, my, my range definitely got uh, bigger. I felt beyond when I just had, was growing. But is it possible the more you are stretching that you could actually extend that, I mean, without the actual extra octave injury that you uh, talked about? 
you Nobody know, like, fracture their pinky, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Not recommended. Yeah, recommend. um, I think you can. I buy it. I, I, I do buy it. I, um, it's, there are rigid structures. Um, we call it like one of them is an intermetacarpal ligament, which looks like that's what Adam maybe have stretched over time. I, I don't think I've seen it on a day-to-day basis, but I would guess you can. Yeah. And get mm-hmm. some joint. The joint itself probably just it becomes a little more mobile with time. Right. Cool. Yeah. Well, this is great, well, man. Yeah, Dr. Goldfarb, thank you so much. This was really, really awesome. We should do this again soon because this was super fun. Uh, every, uh, the three of us will stick around uh, after this podcast is over uh, just for a minute to just wrap it up. We're probably not going to keep this on YouTube because of some uh, video issues that we're having. But check out this over on You'll Hear It, uh, the You'll Hear It podcast on our audio podcast. The audio is still good for this. So thanks, everybody, for the questions. And yeah. uh, thank you, Chuck, for joining us. Yeah, it was fun. You guys are podcast heroes. (laughs) Check out the Upper Hand Podcast. I got a link in the YouTube I dropped there, and it'll be on the uh, uh, show notes as well. So check that out when you get a chance. Awesome. Until tomorrow, you'll hear it.